I just want to read this verse in honoring of the word of God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. This is the word of God. You may sit down. Thank you. So I'm a rebel. I told him I would not speak on Hebrews today. I actually, uh, I believe what I am speaking on has several themes that are woven in to Hebrews. So I, maybe it's just a higher elevation of, of the book. Um, it's such a privilege to be with you. I know how special uh, this is that you would allow me a stranger, Billy Patterson, and my wife, Kelly. We have four boys. We, uh, uh, we live in Oklahoma. I guess that's officially where we live. I don't know. I feel like our home is in heaven, and uh, we're just traveling around trying to find ways to, to bless the Lord. Um, but Kyle and Tessa and Sam and Audrey, Aaron and Holly, so many other of you, um, been such good friends of ours. I've done this once already, and I was emotional the first time. I'm not going to, I won't be emotional this time. But I wanted to just speak a minute about Kyle for a moment. He, he's, he's been an anomaly. There, this is not new to you. You know him. But he's an anomaly right now. I work with pastors around the world, honestly, and I have, there's not many like him. Like he is seeking the kingdom of God first and not his own. I've seen him over the years, his love for Jesus, Tess, the kids, and you grow and grow and grow and grow. And I, I feel like whatever Jesus tells him to do, he's going to do it. And I want him to be, I want to be around him the rest of my life. And honestly, Tessa, wherever she is, I just want to thank her. I actually think you're beginning to sing a little bit more on tune. Right? <laughs> like it's, it's, it's actually sanctification in action. It's pretty amazing. Sitting next to him, I was going, that isn't the Kyle that I knew. Um, I come from Oklahoma City, as I said, and one of the purposes in my life right now is caring for my father. He's 93 years old, and he, uh, we just... We just entered him into hospice. We don't know exactly how long he has, but um, he is declining. And it's not, uh, it's not that I wanted to bring that up for any other reason, but just to say that this message comes from my heart. Um, I want to just say from my father's father, his vantage point, godliest man I ever knew, called him granddad, and uh, <laughs> sweet, quiet, humble, tall, just uh, West Texas to the core. Um, he was the barber in a small town named McCamey, Texas. Anybody know of McCamey? Gosh, it's so weird. The first service, there was a guy sitting there. Are you the same guy? <laughs> there's only one guy that knows where McCamey is. So if you know where Odessa is, you go south, there's Rankin, and then you go south. And there's this sweet little town of we travel to every year, visit my granddad. But my granddad was, I mean, he, I didn't know him when he was carousing women in Europe, like in World War II. I didn't know him when he was gambling a lot of the money away that his, my grandmother had. Um, but I knew him the last 20 years of his life. And whatever he was, he was better. And he was a, uh, 
I was with him the last moments of his life, which was, I was the only one in the room. We knew, I mean, it was close. And I was in this hospital in McKamey. And, um, and I was singing Amazing Grace. And it was just time for him to go to heaven. But before that happened, hundreds of people came to the hospital while I'm sitting in there just to say goodbye to this old man, Fush. And during his funeral, I think the whole town, like his heyday is 2,500 people. I think all 2,500 were there. Um, just such, a, such an amazing guy. He was treasurer. He's deacon of his church. He, he went door to door. I think he probably went to every house in that town and just went to talk about Jesus, gave them Bibles. He never forced it on people, but he just wanted to tell people. Um, I spent the last year of my life trying to figure out why there aren't more men like Granddad around me. Um, I found more men and women, excuse me. Why aren't there more spiritual parenting people that reach their, their last, back, the back end of life, investing in the kingdom of God and in people's lives. And I got kind of angry with the people my age and said, where, 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 where are you? Like, we need you. COVID is destroying us, you know? It's like, um, and I realized it's not them. Like, it's me. Like, I'm the one pointing the finger at me. Um, I may only have 20 years on earth left, maybe. I might just have today. This might be it. And I'm glad I'm here if it is, by the way. Um, How do I make the most of my remaining years of life? Like, how do I elder the cities that I live in now, now that I'm almost 60? um, I just look like Kyle, but I'm actually 58. (laughs) But my hope is today that, that you will aspire, like Paul did to young Timothy, who's 28, 30, years old at the time, and just said, aspire to elder. And I'm I'm not, of course I'm not saying to every local church you become an elder. I'm saying, I think there is a word called eldering. It's not written in any books, but I'm going to say, it's, you know what it is. You've been in parties and you've seen, uh, you've seen these people, these strange, odd people that are in the corner and they're just talking to one or two people, encouraging, building them up, loving them, pouring their life into them, maybe praying for them. But they're just, that's just who they are. They've become like Jesus. Um, They've become someone that is investing in the kingdom and not in themselves. I believe it starts this journey wherever you are in age. Maybe you're already there. But it starts, as Oswald Chambers would say, it starts with our design. Man is only joyful when he fulfills the design of God's creation of him. And that is a joy that can never be quenched. He's right. He's right. Doing what God has called you to do. And I'm not talking about banker, teacher, lawyer. I'm talking about doing the things he actually created us to do as followers of Christ. Doing what we were made for. If you put it in one word, Psalm 43.7 says, it's glory. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created, Jesus is saying, for my glory. 
it stands to reason that I shouldn't have to emphasize this, really, right? I mean, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, you live to glorify God, not yourself. We aren't here to glorify ourselves. We're here to glorify God. You are designed and created, each one of you, for that purpose above everything else. And this glory should actually grow brighter, not dimmer, as you grow old. Now, people may want to tell you it comes from a bigger stage, more popularity, more, more followers on whatever device or whatever program. It actually comes through one thing. I'm not going to tell you what that is. I'm just kidding. It comes through one thing. And I have to say it like that because many of you and I have been determined to find it in everything else. But the one thing is a surrendered heart created and made and designed to worship Jesus. It's a surrendered heart that is connected to his heart. Now, I've been focused, been in ministry for a long time, and I've been focused on discipleship most of my entire ministry career, if that's what you call it. But um, programs, plans, strategies, everything that has to do with discipleship, I have used it. I've done it. Um, John fifteen eight says the answer to discipleship. My Father is glorified by this. There's that word glorified. Glory. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be a disciple. That's, that's discipleship. Now, you have to know where this verse is located because otherwise you're going to strain, you're going to stress, you're going to want to produce fruit, right? John 15 never talks about producing fruit. It actually says the word bear. It says we are here to bear fruit like he produces the fruit through us. It says, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me and I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So abiding really is like just obeying the first command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the first. The heart, on its own, though, we know. I don't recommend you try it, but it grows cold. But a heart in the presence of the, the fountain of life, Jesus, that heart will flow. John seven thirty seven and 38 says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his heart, from his innermost being will flow rivers. That word rivers means torrents. Like you can't stand in that. It's flowing so hard, so quickly. It's actually impossible to stop. So how does that happen? How does torrents of water flow out of my heart? (sighs) Fortunately, it's simply from the act of coming to Jesus, coming to him. People become focused more on loving others 
and not themselves. They find themselves glorifying God and not themselves when they come to Jesus. So I'd like to share with you one of the greatest convictions of my life. And it's, I think I've just kind of formulated it right now in the last couple months, but I do believe it. I believe I've had it from the beginning. But this conviction says, it's from the psalm we read, we still bear fruit in old age. We, and we remain fresh and flourishing. How? Through coming to Christ and keeping our heart connected to his over a course of a lifetime. So if what I'm saying is true, we need to become experts of Jesus' heart. And I would recommend that maybe you become an expert of your own and find out just how these hearts, who they are, and how to connect them. So there's experts on everything. Let's become experts of the things that really matter. How about So I want to look at the heart and maybe get you started on that journey because your heart and his heart connected is truly, in my opinion, evangelism. It's discipleship. It's worship. It's everything that you can picture about the church. The greatest form of evangelism, in my opinion, has been just asking people who Jesus is and then telling them how I Abide with Jesus. And then, of course, then I have to live it out. What's the greatest thing about Jesus' heart? I mean, you could name a thousand things. We've probably sang about several of them this morning. But one of the best things, I think, is that he doesn't make us robots. He doesn't force you to come to him. That's why he asks. He says, come to me. He doesn't make himself come on you, like be a person that's just absolutely smothering you, making you love him. Like, can you imagine me doing that to my wife, Kelly? Like saying, you love me now, love me now, love me now. Make sure you love me. I wouldn't recommend doing that, husbands. That's not a, it's not an effective strategy. <laughs> Giving Kelly the freedom to choose. Man, that's like living a life that is faithful and kind and serving her and then allowing her the freedom to make the choice to love me. And that is the greatest thing I've seen in Jesus' heart. He loves us enough not to force us to love him. You have to come to him, though. Coming to Jesus, not just um, what the Christian culture states of who Jesus is or your favorite podcast or, or even what I'm saying right now. It comes through... Sorry, I'm not used to uh, Britney Spears. Thing. It comes through you with the person Jesus. It comes through a place of you by yourself, by yourself, by yourself with Jesus. Like it's you and Him. That's it. Coming to Him as who Jesus really is, not who we've made him out to be. There is a God we want and a God who is, Patrick Morley said. And the God that I want is the one I can just throw a coin in the soda pop machine and push what I need for that day. Would you please destroy my enemies? They're they're bugging me, you know. Could you get rid of that person? Could you help me with that 
thing? Could you protect me? Could you serve me, Lord, in some way? I'm finding more and more that most people have the wrong perception of Jesus. Like if you just ask them, it's usually something about, well, he demands a lot. He doesn't say it like that, but I need to live a certain way to please him. I, I, have, um, I have to produce fruit for there to be an impact on my relationship with him. But all he says to us is to come, come. Come to him. I love this, uh, this fable, and I'll read it to you, but it's, it's a fable of how we can easily get moved into what everyone else is thinking and move away from what Jesus is thinking. The old fable has been passed down for generations, which tells of an elder, elderly man who was traveling with a boy and a donkey. As they walked through a village, the man was leading the donkey and the boy was walking behind. The townspeople said, the old man was a fool for not riding. So to please, please them, he climbed up on the animal's back. And when they came to the next village, the people said, the old man was cruel to let the child walk while he enjoyed the ride. So to please them, he got off and he set the boy on the donkey's back and continued his way. In the third village, people accused the child of being lazy and for making the old man walk. And the su- suggestion was made that they both ride. So to please the villagers, the man climbed on and they set off again, both riding the donkey. In the fourth village, the townspeople were indignant at the cruelty to the donkey because he was made to carry two people. He wasn't made to carry two people. The frustration, the frustrated man was last seen walking with the boy, both of them helping carry the donkey as they went down the road. At some point, you yourself have to make the choice of who Jesus is and what he's calling you to do. Regardless of what you're hearing and all the noise. And what I'd say to you is, who is that person? Who is Jesus to you? How do you describe his heart? Kyle gave me Gentle and Lowly, which I'm sure he's given some of you. Um, If he hasn't, you need to ask him for a copy. I'm just kidding. It's, uh, It's by Dana Ortland. And it really has had a transformative effect on me. Exodus 34 um, gives us a clear picture of how Jesus describes himself, how God describes himself. And he, you know, his first words were, I, he describes what his name is, I am. But the second time he talks is here. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Merciful and gracious are the first things. These are the first words out of God's own mouth after proclaiming his name. The first words. And what's beautiful about the New Testament is Jesus is the actual embodiment of those things. Merciful and gracious. We're being told in... in, uh, we're, we're being described the deepest part of Jesus' heart. Jesus testified that this was his heart through his life and then proved it when he went to the cross, descending into hell, forsaking his rightful place, 
so that we could have a relationship with him. And it stands on the ready. The only thing we have to do is to come to him. His heart is dispensing mercy and grace. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. It's beautiful what... Uh, I'll get to this quote in a minute. But it's, it's beautiful that he actually is looking for those of us who are really weary. We're burdened. Life is heavy. We're fearful. We don't understand what's going on. Some of us are scared to death. That's who he wants. He's calling you. If you're one of those with me, he wants you to come. Knowing his heart is full of mercy and grace helps me. It helps me when I wake up, I want to get on my knees immediately and worship him and say, Jesus, you are God, I'm not. I surrender, I surrender me to you. I'm coming to you right now and I want the rest of the day to look like this. I know it's impossible. You know that already. You know that I know that it's impossible. But I'm saying, saying that to you because I know that's all you're asking. You want me to come to you. You want me to live my life through you and you live through me. So what image do you have of him? What is your image of Jesus? How would you describe his heart? I love that Jesus gives us this escape clause in 1 John. He uh, actually understands if he goes if we say we have no sin. He knows that we have sin, but yet he actually wants to be with us. And the great news is we simply confess. We confess our sins to him. But see, that's an action. That's like a continual thing. We have to continue to be honest with Jesus. And the only way that happens is if our heart is connected to his. Confession actually keeps us surrendered to him. Um, I'm finally getting to Hebrews. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let Jesus draw you in to the loveliness of his heart. My son stated, we asked him just basically, like, what is your view of God? Like, who who is Jesus to you? And he's a very thoughtful young man. And he, uh, he takes a little while to answer. He goes, he's the safest person I know. Jesus is the safest person. He knows already what's going on in you. He knows who you are backwards and forwards. And yet he calls you to come. John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. The bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. So no matter what state you're in, no matter where you are today, whatever's going on in your life, whoever you're becoming, maybe it's the wrong way and you're going, I need to repent and go this way. Whoever that is, guess what he's not doing? He's not raising his eyebrows at you. You pathetic fool. He actually wants you to come to him. This quote by Dane Ortland is so rich. The only thing required to enjoy such love is to come to him. To ask him to take us in, 
He does not say, whoever comes to me with sufficient contrition or whoever comes to me feeling bad enough for their sin or whoever comes to me with redoubled efforts, this time's it. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Oh, but you don't mean that, Jesus. I mean, wait until you see what I'm about to do. No, you come to me because mercy is mercy and grace is grace. You come to me and I will never cast you out. So now that's him in a nutshell and a little bit of Billy mixed in my understanding of his heart. But what about your heart? I don't know your heart. But I'd like to ask you, do you? Do you know your heart? Have you examined your heart or examining it? Examining it? Jesus talks about our hearts. He actually says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have to let go of the commands of God and holding on to the human traditions. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. It's not more work, it's more release. I love it when pastors drink water because all of y'all are thirsty right now. <laughs> Did that just make you thirst more? Hopefully, hopefully the right kind. What do I mean by it's, it's not more work, it's more release? Jesus has given you a heart that actually longs. Ezekiel 36, it's no longer a heart of stone. It's one of flesh. It's myable. It actually is moving towards him. It wants to move towards him. It's like he's asking you to come and your actual heart actually wants to. Jesus gave us what Hebrews speaks of frequently, a new covenant heart. My wife, who's a grammar teacher, said this this next slide is totally whacked out. So, sorry. (laughs) Not changing it now. Keith hates me already. I've changed things so many times. That, that guy doesn't have an ounce of hate in him. That guy is so, so kind and gracious. But this, this new covenant, if you don't know, God promises to make a new covenant. In the Bible, he promised, the promises made between God and God's people are known as covenants. Unlike the Old Testament, the old covenant, which people broke, the new covenant puts God's law into people's hearts and minds. He has actually instilled in us a heart now. And that's why he says, remember me and remember the new covenant. Because I've changed the whole system. The system now is the Holy Spirit comes in us. And the Holy Spirit, what does he want to do? He wants to worship God all the time. And he's in you. What does worship mean? Well, worship means literally just surrendering your heart to him. Through singing through going to serve the poor, to going to Africa, to actually just loving your neighbor or helping someone across the street. Hebrews 8.10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. It's actually, it's in here somehow. I don't understand it all, but it's here. It's in me. Proverbs 4 actually tells us to guard this. Most of the people who know me know that I love the verse in 
what we just read, John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, that's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, is there a way to make that clear? Is there any possible way? Like, you can go do something by yourself. It's not going to be anything. Or you can do something with me, and you will bear much fruit. And I just still, it's like, why don't I choose this one? Like, I, I, I want to go over here. I think this verse is the same thing. It's like, above everything else. I love that. You've got, you got whatever you are, whatever you're saying about um, God or religion or pain or misery, whatever it is that's going on in your life, guess what? Above all else, do this thing. I know you need, you're, like, you may actually be in a place of pruning or suffering. He's saying, there may be things you need to do about that. But above that, I want you to guard your heart. This word guard means watch. Keep, you know, watch or keep over. But can, I need some just really fake laughter. Because I tried this in the first service. No one it's not really funny, I guess. That's why. <laughs> but this is a great time to use this analogy of guard. Guard is like protecting the basket in my opinion, in this verse. It's like more of a protecting what your, car, your heart really is. Now, certainly, like, we should keep our hearts from the, the dangers and the pitfalls of sin, the devil, the world. I'm not eliminating that. But what I'm trying to tell you is there's more. There's so much more to that. Guarding, to me, is releasing your true heart. So guarding so that your heart would be free, like freedom, Freedom to run after Jesus and be all his. Because we know that's the heart he's given you. And he's given you the Holy Spirit to want to do it. And he's saying, guard this heart. Guard this heart. The heart that was meant to overflow with living water. To flow out and love other people. So our heart, his heart our hearts together. That is where all the magic happens. There's no magic, but that's where it happens. Like that's where God and you, you create glory. That's the glory. That's the, that's the engine. Your heart connected to his heart because that's the vision, right? Of the vine, it produces fruit, kingdom fruit. I want to close with this drawing and then one little uh, last act. But the drawing, if you'll look at it. So I was at our service on Wednesday night. Now we, have a, we have a worship service on Wednesday night. Is that better? Thank you. I accidentally said Sunday morning, and this is why you'd think it's crazy. But Wednesday night we have a worship service. And you can just come in and just sit in a pew, read your Bible while folks are just worshiping, leading worship. Um, and we'll have artists sometimes just draw pictures. And we have a great art. Eric Silvestri um, will sometimes, he's a great artist, and he'll just start drawing pictures of what he sees God doing. Well, I was up in the balcony, and I was praying. I was thinking through this talk, this time with you. Like, is there anything fresh that you want me to share, anything you want me to say? And I had this picture in my mind of a heart, and um, I, I 
needed to go downstairs, so I went downstairs and I rounded the corner and there was Eric and he had drawn this heart, this heart, this picture. What does this picture make you think of? I mean, it's easy to just say Jesus' heart was crucified and God the Father held that heart for him. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. And the Father was there, loved him through that. Or you could see it as your heart. Your heart being crucified. Your heart saying, I will come. I will die to myself. I love this verse. I have been crucified. First verse I have memorized. And of course, I'm reading it to you because I don't want to mess up. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who loved me, and gave himself up for me. This picture of Christ died. His heart died that day. And because he rose again, he had to die first, but he rose again. He's given us the invitation to come to him. And because our hearts are wicked before we come to him, we need that invitation. We need to be forgiven. So for those of you who don't know him, like this may be the time to say, I'm going to crucify myself and I will come to you for the very first time. But for those of you who are like me, who've, who've known Christ for a while, maybe this is something else Because Jesus' hand is behind your heart. If you do this, if you abide in him, if you surrender to him, if you ask the Lord, are you just come to him? He is there. And it may mean dying to yourself. Maybe dying to something. And so we're going to close with just a little, little exercise. I promise it's not weird. I'm not even going to look at you, but if you'll stand up. And I just want you to know, your heart connected to Jesus over the course of a lifetime, you will be fresh and flourishing when you grow old. Your lives will matter. Your life will end well like my grandfather. There will be be nothing. Whatever you've done, you can change the course of it right now. So I'm just, I'm just going to ask you, if you close your eyes, I'm going to do this with you. But I'm just going to ask you to, to make a fist, like hold a fist in front of you. And what I'm, what I'm asking you to do right now is like, this is Lent. It's a time where you, you want to surrender something and that's important. And this is kind of like that, but it's also, it's also much more than that. I'm just going to ask you to to ask him, is there any floodgate that's keeping the torrents of living water from flowing? Is there there anything? You, You just talk to him. You may only have like a little mustard seed of faith, but you can ask him. You can just be honest. Lord, is there something in my heart that I'm holding back?
And he may, he may reveal something to you. The Holy Spirit is longing to make that clear to you. And so the next thing I want you to do is just simply open your hands. Because you never give up some, you never surrender something with God and not receive something. So for some of you, it's just like, I just need to remember to open my hands and receive. This Jesus Billy's talking about, he, he is gentle and lowly and he is merciful and gracious. And he longs to give his children great gifts. So the Father loves you. Jesus loves you. The Holy Spirit is moving you into a deeper love. And they just simply want to give them themselves to you. So is there something that he wants to say? Just ask him, is there something you want to give me, Lord? So Lord, I just, I love these people. Don't know them, but I'm just so thankful that I get to spend eternity with them. They love you. And there's nothing any one of us want more than to just be with you, to live in your presence. So I ask you, I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would grant that. You'd give them just like a fresh filling, like a, a fresh like love and longing for you. May they come to you today in whatever capacity they're in. And may you embrace them like you always do. So I commit them to you and I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.